Welcome to episode 18 of Miles and Pints, the travel and beer podcast. I'm Derek Dye. And I'm Jeff Brownson, and together we're drinking our way through this amazing world, one pint at a time. Whether you love to travel, you love a cold local beer, or you just can't get enough of either, you're listening to the right podcast. That's what we're here to talk about. Our guest today is Eugenia Brown, who you may know from social media as Black Beer Chick. Through her company, Beer Chick LLC, Eugenia runs Instagram accounts for Black Beer Chick and Black Girls Drink Beer Too. She has also raised money to help pay for certifications for 100 women of color who want to get into the craft beer industry. We'll talk about these and some of the many other projects that Eugenia is working on, and of course, we'll get into a little bit of travel for beer and favorite breweries too. Before we get to that interview though, let's take a minute to thank our regular listeners. Without you, we'd just be talking to ourselves. If you haven't already, click that button to subscribe to the show so you won't miss anything that we have coming down the line. And now let's get to the good part. Sit back, relax, crack open your favorite brew, and enjoy our chat with Eugenia Brown. Welcome, everyone, to another great show. I'm Jeff Brownson. I've got Derek Dye with me to co-host. Derek, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Happy to be back. And we have a fantastic guest with us, Eugenia Brown, who you may know from Instagram as Black Beer Chick, and she is doing a ton of cool stuff in the craft beer scene. So, Eugenia, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. It's very exciting for me to talk to you, especially I found you on Instagram not that long ago, but I started clicking through some of the links you have, I think a a link tree on there on your profile. And I started poking around and seeing all these articles and all this stuff that you do. And I'm very excited to get into that today and talk a little bit about everything that uh, you have going on. Awesome. Thank you. I'm excited to talk about it. So yay! thanks for having me for sure. But of course, uh, as we do always do, we have to get started by talking about what we're drinking because it wouldn't be right to record a podcast without drinking a beer while you do it, right? So Derek, what have you got going today? Jeff, tonight I'm drinking a limited release RAR Brewing, which is one of my favorites, the Out of Order Series uh, Blueberry Pie Ice Cream Sour. And believe it or not, it tastes exactly like blueberry pie and ice cream. (laughs) And it is wonderful. When they started doing that sale the other day, it was a pre-release for the cans. And you let me know. And it was you had to get into a queue ahead of time. And then if you got into the queue, then you got to get into the cart. And you guys managed to get in ahead of me. And by the time I got in, that was the one beer that was already sold out. Correct. It is apparently the most popular. It's honestly one of the best beers I've ever had. And uh, it's it's worth the hype. I am definitely jealous of that. That's impressive. No, wait, what is RAR? I may be a little bit slow right now. RAR Brewing. It's uh, in Cambridge, Maryland on Maryland's Eastern Shore. They've been around for six or seven years uh, doing a lot of really good sours and a lot of really good IPAs. Yeah, and they really hype up their can releases. They're one of the breweries that like talks about it and talks about it, and they get people coming in from surrounding states, and they get they wow. it, it's crazy. They released, 
I think it was six beers and like three different glasses with prints from the beers and a few shirts. And there were people lining up hours, if not even the day before to, to get the stuff. Wow. I have yet to experience that. I have never lined up for a beer, but hopefully soon, maybe after COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now the line has to be a little bit longer. Right. So now that I've made everyone jealous with my beer, Jeff, tell us what you're drinking that's far uh, inferior to what I have. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's that far <laughs> inferior. <laughs> I have a Tangerine Sour New England IPA from the State of Mind series from Empire Brewing Company, um, which is a brand owned by the Ellicottville Brewing Company, which uh, we just had Dan the last couple shows there had Brewer on the podcast. So this is one of the beers I came home with from them. I am sadly, sadly, sadly running out of those beers. My fridge was stocked so nicely when I came home from that trip. And each one I drink, I think, oh, that's one less. I'm running <laughs> out. But this one's pretty good. And I didn't have to do a crazy website and stand in line for it. So I think I win there. It does sound delicious. So now I'm jealous of yours. Yes. Eugenia, what have you got? All right. So I also did not have to stand in line for my beer. Um, It's pretty cool being, I guess, what you call nowadays a beer influencer. So my lovely friends at Highland sent me some beer. And so I'm drinking a fresh and fruit ale. Um, it's It's called Peachful from Highland Brewing in Asheville. And so it's a peach fruit ale. It's one of their seasonal beers that they do. And it's really like light and refreshing. You get tons of peach, 5.2%. And it's a new release. So I think they're just releasing it. And so, yeah, I'm excited that they were able to send me some of it. So very cool. That's absolutely the best when you get beer in the mail, especially if you're not expecting it. Exactly. And I was not expecting it. I literally went to the mailbox and I was like, oh, I have a package from Highland. And it made my day. <laughs> that sounds really good. I One of the first craft beers I ever tried was a Highland Brewing beer. It wasn't that great. And I've heard through the years, I guess the last 10 years or so, they really, really upped their game. So that sounds exactly. really good. And I'm sure it's going to be a, a good brew for you. Definitely. Yeah, I think we're going to head down in that direction sometime. Once things open up a little bit and we get into summer, Derek has a, owns partially owns i guess part of a plane and he's a pilot so we're talking about uh popping down to some nearby locations to drink beer in the plane which i think would be way better it's probably even safer than uh doing a road trip and having to stop for gas and stuff have either of you been to Asheville before i actually flew down there with one of our uh, mutual buddies in october and we did uh, a five days there uh it hit 17 breweries in three days and uh, and then flew over to Virginia Beach for the weekend. It was awesome. Uh, I really love that town, really love the beer scene, and so many good breweries and a lot of friendly brewmasters there. Definitely. Very cool. I, I was not invited on that trip, but I'm not bitter. Derek, next time invite Jeff, please. I think I actually might have been in Mexico still when they went on that trip. Yeah, so about that. Uh Yeah, the guy that spent a month in uh, Mexico sending us his food pictures three or four times a day and making us all jealous. Yeah, yeah, but he didn't have an invite to Asheville, North Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) But at that point in October, I probably was stuck there waiting on a COVID test or in a hurricane or one of those <laughs> those fun things that ended out my trip. So it wasn't that great, but I still did have some really good tacos and, uh, and chilaquiles every day. 
<laughs> even if we had to have them delivered waiting on uh, quarantine. <laughs> right. So, Eugenia, let's get into a little bit of background. Um, you mentioned Asheville. I am not sure. I don't think where you're from. You're in that region somewhere, right? Yeah. So I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is about two hours from Asheville um, and grew up in Raleigh, North Carolina. So I am a North Carolinian at heart. So you like that weather a little bit warmer than what we get up here? and Definitely. I am anti-snow and anti-cold. I mean, we get all seasons here, but this winter has been like very mild. Like We have hardly gotten any snow, so it's been really, really nice. We had to go to New York to find snow, so we didn't. We haven't got much here in the D.C. area. Okay, well, that's good. Usually you all get snow, though. Yeah, we usually get a little bit, but I grew up in upstate New York, so it, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm used to a lot. Exactly. Um, and I just don't. This is this is like borderline too warm an area for me. I told my wife for years that I would never move to D.C. because it got too hot in the summer. And now here I am eight years <laughs> later, nine years later, however long I've been here. <laughs> just goes to show that she always wins. <laughs> well, it typically happens that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you grew up North Carolina area. When did you first get into craft beer? Were you a, nah, I don't want to say a high school drinker. If you were, you probably weren't drinking craft beer. But when did, when did you discover craft beer and the deliciousness that was the small breweries around there in North Carolina? Yeah, um, definitely wasn't a high school drinker. And if I did take a sip, it was from my mom's beer glass. And she drank really bad beer like King Cobra. And so, yeah, I never thought I would drink beer, honestly, and never thought I would like it. But I ended up going to college um, in a town called Greensboro, North Carolina at UNCG. And one of the popular breweries there at the time was a brewery called Natty Greens. And they had been around for quite some time. And so really in college, that was like really my first like gateway brewery and gateway beer. I remember the very first craft beer I tried was a beer called Wildflower Wit. And I feel like wit beers and like wheat beers are really good introduction beers to people. It wasn't too harsh, really easy drinking. You know, you put an orange pill on the glass and anyone will drink it. And so that was my gateway beer. And it was honestly like the first beer that I had that was craft. And I realized, wow, you know, this isn't the King Cobra or the Natty Light my dad used to drink. So maybe I can actually drink craft beer. And so from there, um, more breweries started popping up in Greensboro. And, you know, I kind of fell in love with just kind of the culture of breweries and, and going to them. You know, it wasn't quite the club, but it wasn't necessarily a bar either. It was like that happy in between that was like super laid back and chill. And so it kind of became my happy place. And that's how I became ultimately obsessed with just craft beer. Yeah, I think I probably... I mean, I didn't really drink before college. And in college, we had... We drank a lot of cheap beer because right. it was college. And then like our craft beer at that point was Sam Adams kind of stuff because they were still smaller then. And then we kind of worked our way out and got into some, uh, I think we used to have uh, Harpoon and Magic Hat and a lot of those. Yep. You can probably tell I went to school in New England <laughs> where <laughs> those beers are coming from. But it's interesting. I actually took a flight down to Greensboro a few years ago. It was a it was a weird flight. It was when I had a, a Jet Smarter membership, and there was an empty leg jet headed down there for maintenance. So I hopped on, <laughs> and so I took a private jet to Greensboro because oh, wow. apparently that's how I roll. And Fancy. then I I flew back in the back of the plane on a tiny little American Air. <laughs> uh, I don't even know what it was, something small. Um, but I I went to a few breweries when I was there. I was in town for just one night, and I I think I hit 
three breweries and the civil rights museum and yeah. it was it's, it was a cute little town right. uh, and some really good beer coming out of there even even then yeah it's very cute and quaint and i think the funny thing like when i look back now to really pinpoint like when i truly became obsessed with craft beer i remember obviously natty greens like legit wildflower wit was my first craft beer but i remember um one day there used to be like a young professionals group there. And so they would plan all these events around town. And one day they did a brewery panel. And so on the panel, it was like the owner from Natty Greens. It was the head brewer. I think it was like a person from another brewery in the area. And I remember them kind of like talking about, you know, opening the brewery and what it took in the process. And I remember being like really fascinated by it and never like truly understanding like what goes on behind closed doors at a brewery and all it takes to open. And so that was like literally my first introduction but I would say it wasn't until I actually moved to Charlotte and I realized that Charlotte had five times more breweries than Greensboro that I really became obsessed with beer because literally, you know, I was working a full time job in mental health and being stressed out. And so after work, I needed to drink like most people. And so I would get off work and go find me a brewery um, after work or go find me a place on the weekends. And like that became my new hobby. And so I would just kind of brewery hop. And Charlotte just has so many great options and so many breweries that it became like my fun little project. And is Charlotte where you landed right out of college? No. So I actually stayed in Greensboro for like 10 years. So I graduated college. I feel old now, but somewhat probably different. But I graduated college in 2011. So it's been 10 years. I know I have like that baby face, but I'm like, no, I'm a grown woman. But 10 years and uh, lived in Charlotte until 2015. And then I moved here about six years ago. Lived in Greensboro until 2015. Right? Yep, until 2015. Yeah, okay. Yep, okay. and moved to Charlotte six years ago. And so, yeah. So 2015 is really when you took that next step from enjoying craft beer to it really becoming your passion. Is that right? Right. And even then, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. Like, I just knew I liked to drink. And so, I mean, I was really good at it. So I would just visit breweries and drink beer. Um, and then probably about I would say 2018, 2019 is when I accidentally discovered the Cicerone program. And that became my obsession because I never realized that anything like it existed. And I was like, oh, wow, like not only can I drink beer, but I can like learn about it and nerd out about it. And so I've always been like a little bit of a nerd at heart. And so I became obsessed with like the science behind it. And um, started really getting into like going to beer education classes and wanting to learn how to brew. And so from there, I just, I have been obsessed. Je Jeff, did you happen to notice her words and why she is now a hero of this show? She said, not only do I enjoy drinking beer, but I'm really good at it. That's just <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. And, and the learning <laughs> aspect of things, I think that there's, it's so cool to it, you can taste a beer and from a craft brewery and you taste it and it's great. And if you can read a little bit on the can and see how it's made or see why it's different from this or that, then that's great. But if you understand what went into it and you understand where those flavors are coming from, whether it's from the hops going in during fermentation or whether it's from an addition right before they keg it and know why it's getting the smell or why it's getting the flavor or why it's getting... I'm sure you could talk about it far more than I can since you, you have the, I think it's the certified beer server Cicerone license class certification, whatever. All of whatever. that. Yeah, all those words. Um, and I clearly don't as I fumble over what it's even called. 
but it's just the more you educate yourself and the more you learn about things, I think the more interesting hopping between those breweries gets. Right. Yeah, I agree. And I think like that's honestly what initially just drew me to beer. Um, You know, like I said, I obviously loved how it tasted. But when I first started drinking, I didn't like a lot of styles. Like typically I like your wheat beer, like I like your lighter beers. And it wasn't until like I discovered IPA that, you know, I went through a phase where I was obsessed with IPAs. And then, you know, I discovered stouts and started liking stouts. And now my newest obsession, which at this point, I drink almost every style of beer. The, I tell people, don't ask me what my favorite style is because that's hard. I literally like all beer. But what I don't like is barley wine. And so find me a barley wine that I like and you have done something because it's just typically not my style <laughs> of beer. But um, currently, I love anything malt forward. So, you know, if I go to a brewery and they have a brown L on, like I'm in a happy place. Like, you know, give me a Doppelbach. Give me anything other than a hazy IPA and I'm good. I love hazy IPAs, but I'm just tired of them right now. So <laughs> yeah, if I'd had a lot, um, Derek, lot. I don't think can ever get too many. <laughs> yeah, I do have an IPA obsession, but I will say I 100% agree with you in that as you continue to progress in your beer journey, whatever stage you're in, you do start to branch out into styles. And I feel like as your beer education grows, it, it, it sort of dictates how many styles you really, really enjoy. The casual beer drinker probably goes for one style, whether it's a stout, an IPA, or a, or a session-style lager. But uh, as, as your beer education advances, that's the people like yourself that like everything across the spectrum. Exactly. Like, I think I went to a brewery last week and I was like, oh, they have a Keller beer on. Give me that. Or, you know, I've also been in this like lager stage. I don't know if you got a chance to hit it up when you were in Asheville, but there's a brewery called Zillacoa. And, you know, they do a lot of good lagers and dark lagers. And so, yeah, I'm in like the stage where I want beer flavored beer. Like I love all the cool fruited beers and all the funky flavors, but I can also just appreciate a good beer flavored beer. So. Yeah, I was at one of my favorite local breweries uh, just yesterday, Aslan Beer Company, their tap room in Alexandria, and they're known for their sours and for their IPAs are like they knock them out of the park. They're wonderful. And they have a ton of them on the menu in the tap room. And I've been there a couple of times recently. And I started out with a sour yesterday that was delicious. And then I was like, oh, wait, but they have a Pilsner. I guess I'll try that. So I got the Pilsner and it probably wasn't the best Pilsner I've ever had, but it was a really cool to see them branching out and starting to do that. And do I believe that two or three years from now, Aslan is going to have a ridiculously good lager series? Absolutely. Well, and, and my newest thing is like smoked beer. So I've recently become obsessed with smoked beer. And so a brewery here in town called Resident Culture did a smoked lager and like it's become my obsession. And of course, I had one pint of it and then I went back and it had already kicked. But I'm just like, oh, give me a smoked beer. And I'm really happy because that's different. and You don't see it a lot. And Eugenia, I heard a, a brewmaster many years ago uh, tell me something. I don't recall where it was, but it was profound to me. They said, you know, basically you take an IPA, you can hide a lot of flaws in it with all the hops. You take a stout, depending on the stout, you can hide a lot of flaws with the layers of flavor and the alcohol on it. You give me a lager, it's really tough to hide flaws, right? Because there's there's not much there. It's just the, the natural ingredients in beer. So I, to Jeff's point, you go to a bar and the first thing you want to say, hey, is this a good brewery? 
try their lager. If it's bad, they have a lot of flaws in their beer, right? Right. That's a good indication. And honestly, every brewery that I go to, I typically I'm a big flight girl, so I always get a flight. And on that flight, I make sure I get a lager because honestly, I base my beer off of that too. Um, if you can brew a really good lager, then that is a good indication that your other beer is good. If your lager is horrible, then that's an indication that more than likely I'm going to taste some off flavors. You know, it may not be as great. And so, I mean, I've heard that same thing. And that's that's what I kind of take with me as I visit and travel to new breweries. Yeah, there's something wrong in the process if they can't can't get the loggers right. I do a similar thing actually with Italian restaurants. Typically, the first time I go to one, I like to get either a lasagna or spaghetti and meatballs because they're just basic dishes that I've had a thousand times, and I want to know how good you could make that basic dish. Wait, but Jeff, and are you Italian? I am not. Oh, okay, I was just wondering. No, but I, <laughs> I am not Italian, but I've. I've lived in some pretty Italian areas in Northeast Pennsylvania. There was a ton of Italian food. And so and my mom like made spaghetti sauce from scratch. That's all I had growing up. I had, I never had spaghetti sauce out of a jar, which my wife thinks is crazy. And I was like, well, it wasn't a jar, but my mom put it there after she made it. Right. (laughs) Like that's what I had. And she made her own meatballs and she didn't make her own pasta, but like Mm -hmm. that, that's what I had growing up. So I love to have that in various places. And we don't typically go to Italian restaurants around here because the food scene is just crazy. There's uh, so many Asian places, um, African restaurants and European restaurants and South American restaurants. Really anywhere in the world has tremendous food in this area. And we realized uh, a couple of weeks ago it was restaurant week and our reservation got messed up at the place we were trying to go. And we ended up at, a, at an Italian place and we were just blown away with how good it was. I got the the Sunday gravy. It was a homemade pasta and had the like a three types of meat sauce on it. And it was delicious. But enough of that tangent. That has nothing to do with beer <laughs> yeah, or travel. Now that we're all hungry. Okay? Yeah, now exactly. Now need, a big, need a big plate of spaghetti right now. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's get into your life in craft beer today. You don't work full time in beer, right? Nope, not yet. So my goal is to transition full-time into beer, but currently I still work um, full-time in mental health and I work part-time for a brewery here called Free Range Brewing. And what do you do for them? So I'm a beer tender, so I work the bar. I'm hoping to get more back of house because that's where a lot of my passion is also. So I'm kind of like 50-50. Like I'm great at working the bar because I'm a people person and I can talk to anybody. Like I never meet a stranger and I can talk beer all day long, but uh, my passion is truly like back of house. So, you know, I'm, I want to learn production. I want to continue to learn to brew. Um, I did work for a local brewery here and I was a brewer there. And um, so, yeah, I'm hoping to get back to that side of things because that's the part that I really, really miss. And I feel like that's where I have the most ability to actually learn. So I think it's the best if you can get in the back and do brewing and do that kind of thing. And then like one day a week, go out and 10 bar and then you still get that contact and talking to people and seeing what they like and getting that affirmation that you're doing things right. I think that's that's probably the best way to do it. Right. And the brewery that I used to work for um, before working at my current brewery, that was their model. So I worked at Pilot Brewing here in Charlotte and the model was 50-50. So you work 50% in the brew house and you work the other 50% at the bar. So all of us brewed our own beer. All of us worked the bar. And I feel like it kind of helped like cultivate a very close knit group of employees. But not only that, but, you know, when you were serving the beer, a lot of times you were serving your own beer. So it was always cool to like see people's reaction to see if they really like something. And then we got to put our names on the beer. So, you know, it was Eugenia's 
Hellbach or Eugenia such and such and so for people to try the beer and they'd be like, oh, well, who's Eugenia? And you're like, me? Do you like the beer or not? <laughs> I made that a few weeks ago. I made that. So what do you think? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I really love that model. And, um, you know, they're a smaller brewery, just three barrels. But, you know, I, I love that concept of being able to get experience from the front of house and back of house. But the brewery I work for now, I'm just beer tending currently, but I've expressed interest in doing other things. But our head brewer um, is a woman and she's amazing. And I know we'll probably talk about this later, but she is my co-chapter leader in Pink Boots. So we work closely together anyway. And before we move into your various entities and things you do in the beer world, can you tell us briefly, uh, do you have a favorite style you like to brew? And do you have a, a, a one you don't like to brew? So I've only ever brewed four beers. Um, I brewed a cream ale. I did a Hellsbach. I did an IPA. And I did a bourbon belt aged stout. And honestly, I enjoyed all of them. Um, the one that I was most nervous about was probably the stout because we did something called a polygal where we basically did like a double mash. And so I was really nervous. So I'm very OCD about hitting my numbers and like beer is science. And so, you know, you want to hit your targets, you want to hit your gravity. And I remember brewing that beer and um, not really hitting my numbers the way that I wanted to. And so I was like, all stressed out, like, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be trash. Just get rid exactly. of it. You know, I think I forgot. Um, so for like the clarity in beer, sometimes you'll add like a world flock tablet to kind of clean up the beer. And I remember I forgot to add the world flock in. I'm like, it's going to be cloudy. It's not going to look good. And so I remember just obsessing over it, but it came out really good. It was the first barrel aged beer I ever done. And I got such great feedback. Um, but in terms of the style, like brewing the most, I mean, I guess the first beer I ever brewed was a cream ale. So that'll always be near and dear to my heart. And I remember after I brewed that beer, the head brewer at my brewery, um, there's this little book called, I think, Good Night Brew or something that you like read it to your beer. And so literally, like I took the book and I read it to my beer and I'm like rubbing the fermenter like it's my baby. OK, now I need you to come out really, really good. This is my really first beer. But, you know, it came out great. And I remember I had a bunch of friends that came over for the release and people that don't even typically like cream ales, they really, really enjoyed it. So that was really cool. And then I will say, um, I brewed a Hellsbach, and that beer actually won a medal in one of our local beer competitions. So that made me feel really good. So what I'm hearing is that the current brewery you're at should get you in the back of house as soon as they can, because uh, yes, you, you seem to know what you're doing back there. Right. And I have a medal winning beer. Like, come on now. <laughs> and then clearly your beers are all brewed with love. You're you're reading them bedtime stories and, right. and hugging them at night. <laughs> Which and I think is amazing. I love And that's that. what makes the difference. Like, literally, it's so funny. I would go into work every day and, like, go check on my beer and, like, check the temperature. And I would go over there and, like, rub it and talk to it for a little bit. And um, I'm pretty sure everyone thought I was crazy. But it was my baby. Like, it was my beer. And I think the most exciting thing before I left that brewery, um, they actually submitted my bourbon belt aged stout to GABF. I mean, it didn't place a medal. But the fact that they thought it was good enough to submit was, like, super exciting for me. What year was that? Last year. Oh, cool! Congrats. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a uh, for any brewer. That's a that's a huge accomplishment. Accomplishment right. just to get a beer submitted. Exactly. And I remember sitting there online watching, like, okay, we're at the bourbon bill category. Is it going to win something? But you know, it, it was it was a fun experience, and I was very humble, and it was exciting. Like you said, to even have it submitted, even if it didn't win anything, the fact that they thought it was good enough to submit made me really really happy. So you've worked, at, you're at a brewery now, you worked at one in the past, we talked a little about them. 
but we also know that you hopped around and have tried all sorts of breweries in that area. Are there a couple that stand out if someone's coming down for just a weekend and want to go to two or three breweries? What are the absolute can't misses in the Charlotte area? So we have so many good breweries here, so that's always hard. Um, But if I had to pick top five, I would say I always have to go with, obviously I'm biased because I've worked at two of the many here, but Pilot, the very first brewery that I worked at, um, the head brewer there, Rachel, one and the owner, she's amazing and she will never brew a hazy IPA. So she believes in clear beer and that is her thing. But because of it, she just produces some really good beer. And I know that, you know, they haven't been open really long. And the first year they opened, um, they placed silver in a sour category at GABF for one of their beers, but they have amazing beer. So definitely Pilot Brewing. Um, second, I got to mention where I work now, Free Range. We have some amazing, and it's funny, I talked about hazy IPAs earlier, but we have some amazing hazy IPAs that I would put up against anyone, and they're really, really good. Um, and then some of my other ones that I'm kind of not biased with, I would say Divine Barrel. They're producing some amazing beer. You know, if you ever get a chance to try anything, maybe I'll send you guys some beer. Um, they're really good. Middle James, another brewery here. They're kind of like outside of Charlotte, but I've never had a bad beer from them, and they really do some good stuff. And then last but not least, Town Brewing. They have some exceptional beer, and they've also placed like so many medals at GABF. They have really good sours, IPAs, and honestly, everything. So. Oh, that sounds like a great list. We will definitely mark that down. And that's going to be, I think, the first few that we go to when we get down that way. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm already looking at the calendar trying to figure out uh, when we can go, Jeff, you know. Do it and let me know. Like, I have literally been to every brewery in Charlotte and most of them in the outskirts. So I can give you good advice. Derek and I have a little bit of a problem that every time we record one of these episodes with someone, we talk about travel and we're like, well, we should go there. Yeah, we should definitely <laughs> do that. And we should do this. And we, pretty soon we're going to have a lot of travel books. I, I see no problem, Jeff. No problem exactly. at all. I was sitting on the couch earlier talking to my, my wife and my son and I don't even remember what they were asking me about, but I was completely ignoring them and just kept saying, but it's only $304 to Hawaii right now out of DCA or out of IAD. Should we go? I can get from Washington to Hawaii. And they were like, no, you can't go to Hawaii. It's good like next month or the month after. And I was like, I know you guys can't go, but I could go to Hawaii. Right. $300. I just, I mean, I didn't go to, I was supposed to be in Houston like two weeks ago, but Obviously, with the weather they got, I had to cancel my trip. But my ticket to Houston was three hundred dollars. So uh, yeah, yes, three hundred to Hawaii. Three hundred and four dollars round trip to Hawaii. I was like, I think I should go, and maybe I still will go. Don't tell my wife. I think you should go. <laughs> yes, yes, you fit in perfectly here. Beer, <laughs> travel, encouraging bad choices. Wonderful, wonderful. Exactly. Ninety nine percent of my travel is beer related. Like I travel places for beer and breweries. That's it, to be honest with you. So, Fantastic. And we'll talk more about that in a bit. But first, let's talk about what you're doing other than the full-time job and other than the part-time job at the brewery. You're also doing a whole lot um, on social media and the internet and everywhere that we can find things, basically. And the way I found you was through your Instagram, which is Black Beer Chick. But talk to us a little bit about what that is, how that became a thing, and I guess how that, I guess just how that came about. 
Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I moved to Charlotte six years ago, was working a lot, and I realized that I really enjoyed going to breweries. And so one of the things I wanted to do was really just connect with people um, in Charlotte through beer. So I was a newbie here. I didn't really know anyone. And so I wanted to meet people that like beer. So I decided to create this persona, Black Beer Chick, and started simply just posting pictures about beer, posting pictures about different breweries. And honestly, that was kind of like my escape and my outlet to just kind of like get away from the real world. But maybe about like, I don't know, seven or eight months in, I realized that like I was getting a lot of traction. But more importantly, I realized that there was not a lot of space for like black women in craft. So, you know, we hear the cliche, white guys with a beard. And I'm obviously not a white guy with a beard. So, but, well, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, wait, you know, I feel like there weren't there wasn't really any space for like women of color in craft. And so I started Black Beer Chick. But then I also started another Instagram page called Black Girls Drink Beer Too. And, you know, the purpose of that was to really to help kind of change the narrative and to show people physically that, you know what, there are tons of black girls that drink craft beer. And, you know, although you all aren't talking about us, like we actually are real. And the irony in all of that is that a lot of us, we call ourselves unicorns and people say unicorns aren't real. Although I did just see something recently where they felt like a fossil or something of a unicorn, but that's unrelated. But anyways, so... (laughs) (laughs) so black girls drink beer too and we are not unicorns we actually are real and so yeah just started it like on a whim and from there kind of created the brand beer chick and um i was really intentional about making sure that my brand was inclusive to everyone because we also realized that women are underrepresented in beer so obviously being a black woman i'm underrepresented but i think women as a whole are and so my goal for beer chick my company and my brand was really just to connect people to empower people and um, just really share with people my love of beer. And so from there, it's kind of blew up and it's it's the ultimate passion project. Um, and it's become something that I like even more than my main job. So I'm hoping that I can make it my full-time job one day. So. And when did you launch Black Beer Chick? Two years ago. So about two years ago, um, April of this year will be my two-year anniversary, April 17th. And so it seems surreal almost like so much has happened in two years, but yep. And that's awesome. I just checked almost 8,000 Instagram followers. I just gave you a follow. That's, that's incredible growth for two years. Awesome. Thank you. It, It is like, it's been an incredible experience. And I think, you know, what's most important to me, I tell people like, I love craft beer. That's a given, but I think more importantly outside of beer, like I just love people and I love the connections. And so that's what makes it all worth it for me. Like going to a brewery, sitting at a bar and, you know, having a random conversation with the person next to me. um, That's what I love the most about beer. And you've taken this from just a connection and a uh, project of yours and showing yourself going out and drinking. And then you brought in the idea of other, uh, I think and on the black girls drink beer too, it says if you're a black or brown girl and you're out drinking. Um, so you're including even more there. And then you thought, you know, this isn't enough. We just don't want to show people drinking beer, but we want to actually help people get into beer and brewing and beer service. So you launched something that you originally called the Road to 50, I believe, and then that quickly became the Road to 100 initiative. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how it started and then how it doubled in size? 
Yeah, so, you know, the story behind that is so funny. Like, so right when I started the new job at the brewery I work for now, Free Range, and so I've been working there since July of last year, I remember going into training and being excited because there was another Black girl in the room with me. And I'll be honest, like, every job I had before at the former brewery, um, before that I worked at a craft beer bar, you know, I was the only Black person and the only Black chick. So, I didn't mind it because, I mean, I had gotten used to being like a minority in a lot of different spaces and places. And that's like from college, from like high school, honor classes and different things. So I was really shocked to see like, wow, is there another black woman like that's going to work at this brewery with me? And so I remember going home that night and laying in bed and reading an article about Dr. J, who lots of people know she does a lot of diversity and inclusion work in the craft beer industry. But in her article, she talked about like tokenism and how in a lot of different spaces and places, only certain people are allowed. And so when I began to like really think about that, I realized that, you know, in a sense, I was kind of contributing to tokenism, um, not directly, but when I was the only person in these spaces, I never questioned why. Like I felt the need to protect my space. So I never invited anyone else into the space with me. Like I was content with being that token black girl because I got comfortable being that person. And so I remember laying in bed that night thinking to myself, like, wow, Eugenia, like you have been contributing to this tokenism the whole time. Um, so what can you do now that's different? And so I began to realize that I didn't want to be the only woman of color at the table. I had opportunity to be invited to like so many different things. I remember when Black is Beautiful was like being kicked off and brewery started picking it up and doing it. Um, I love Jay Wakefield in Miami. And so they were doing like a big brew session and there were a bunch of guys obviously that were going down from like a bunch of different breweries that were going to brew the beer. And I invited myself. I was like, oh, I'm going too." And so they said, sure, you can come. And literally I was going to be the only girl that was going to be there to help them brew the beer. At the last minute, I decided not to go because that's when COVID numbers in Florida started spiking. But mm. I remember thinking to myself, like, why didn't I invite anyone else? And like I said, I had gotten used to being the only one and didn't question it. So laying in bed that night, I'm like, you know what? I want to bring women of color to the table with me. Thought of this whole idea of Road to 100. And honestly, the idea behind it was, you know, how I got my first beer job in the industry. I didn't have experience. I didn't. I hadn't worked at a brewery before, but I had my certified beer server through the system run program. And so I didn't have experience, but I had education and I had knowledge. And so my thought process was, if I can help 100 women of color get their beer education get their certified beer service certification, then maybe I can help bridge the gap and help them get jobs and break into the industry. So that's honestly like how it started. And what does that program do? What do you, how do you help them do that? Yeah. So, I mean, for the most part, it's like very introductory, kind of like foundational level in terms of like beer knowledge. It's online. Um, you know, it's really accessible to a lot of people as long as you have like a computer and internet. But it's a test that you take that basically tests you on a bunch of different things as it relates to beer, like pouring and serving beer, um, a lot of different styles. And if anything, I think it kind of sets you up to be able to work at a brewery and to be able to like have a conversation with consumers about beer that makes you, I guess, a little bit more well-informed than just your average person or average Joe Smo off the street. And so it's not a guarantee in terms of like working in the beer industry. But one thing I will say is that I'm noticing more and more breweries are requiring that their staff at minimum have that level one certification. And you guys are helping people train for that or you're giving scholarships for the certifications, both? Uh, yeah, both. So 
So the funny thing is, so initially I had a goal of wanting to pay for 50 women to get the certification. And so that ended up being about $3,000. And I'm like, well, I don't really have this money to donate to these people, but, you know, I'm going to figure it out. So I created this T-shirt um, and, you know, really came up with the theme, more bridges, um, yeah, more bridges, less barriers from a thought I had like earlier on in the year. Cause I think last year when people started brewing the black is beautiful, we started having kind of serious conversations around like racial inequality and different things like that. And one of the things I always realized is that, you know, there were tons of barriers when trying to like break into the beer industry. And so how can we alleviate those barriers and instead kind of create bridges? And so I created a t-shirt, people bought the t-shirt. Um, I raised money for those 50 exams to be able to pay for those for the women so they could take them and get the certification. The Cicerone program kind of saw what I was doing and they loved it. And they decided to match my 50 with 50 additional exams. And so that's how it turned into like road to 50 to road to 100. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, even to the fact that you looked at that and said, well, this is what it'll cost. I'd love to do that. And then looked at the dollar amount and you were like, well, I can't afford to do that. And you didn't just give up there. You were like, well, no, I I, I can make it work. I'm a smart person. I can figure right. this out. And you, you designed the t-shirt and you sold the t-shirts. And then it became big enough by that point that the Cicerone program jumped on board and and doubled your ability to spread that knowledge and get people certified, I think is fantastic. And have where where are you in that process at this point? Have people taken the tests? Are these yeah. certified people out there? Or are you still working through it? Yep. So I um, I gave away all 100 codes for the exam. And so right now we have about 25% of the women that have passed the exam. And so for a lot of them, the next step is like kind of finding jobs in the industry. And so it's funny because one of the girls texted me, she had an interview last week with the brewery and she said it went really well. So she's waiting to hear back. But I think part one of the goal was to help them get that certification, because if you think about it, like in all honesty, you know, yeah, I grew up with family members that drink beer, but I didn't grow up with people that own breweries. So like a lot of us, we don't really have that experience. We don't have those connections. And so being able to like equip the ladies with education honestly was a game changer. And so, you know, a lot of the women are in the process now of studying for the exam. But the cool thing about it is like, I thought it was going to take me months to raise this money. Like the the t-shirt campaign that I did, you only get two weeks to raise the money. I was like, okay, well, I hope I can raise it in two weeks. I raised the money in three days. Not only wow. raised it in three days, exceeded the goal. And so not only was I able to help 100 women like get their level one, I was also able to help 20 women get their level two, which is like even more intensive in terms of like studying and beer knowledge. So, I mean, the yeah, that's support- a pretty serious commitment to do that level two. Yeah, it's been insane. And so, you know, I have a lot of great women um, that came on board to partner with me that I'm really connected to that were already certified Cicerones, advanced Cicerones. And so they kind of served as mentors. And we literally created this like 12 week online class curriculum that all the women went through. And so it's been very, very rewarding, but it required a lot of work behind the scenes. It's absolutely amazing. And, and congratulations to you. And I always think one of the first signs of success is when you change the behavior of others. Um, and you clearly did that with the Cicerone program. They saw what you were doing and matched it. So uh, kudos to you. Uh, that's, that's a great achievement. Uh, you, you set a goal and, you, and you've now doubled that already. So great job in that front. Awesome. Thank you. And I think I, 
I, I don't know. I'm kind of just in awe because it's you just looked at a situation and you're like, yeah, that's not right. And then fixed it. And I mean, you haven't fully fixed it, but you are definitely taking steps in the right direction to make things better and to get women into brewing as they should be. And my wife uh, works in STEM. She's a, an elementary STEM teacher. So she's very much involved with getting women into STEM and science and technology and engineering. And it's a, a similar battle that you, it's not that women can't do those things. It's just for so many years, they were told that wasn't for them, which exactly. is ridiculous. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous in, in all accounts, in brewing, in science, in engineering. And so it's great to see people like you making moves to try to make that better. And brewing is science. And, and I, I love that you brought that up because a lot of brewing is very much connected to like STEM in terms of like the equipment that you use and understanding it and the science that goes behind it. And I think the thing that's really important for people to realize is it's not like there's a lack of interest. Like, I have so many friends that look like me, that love craft beer, that want to brew, that homebrew, that love beer. But because it's not like mainstream and it's not what you're used to seeing, people don't really see, you know, that that is really important. And so I think this whole initiative is kind of like shed light on the fact that, wow, you know, there are a lot of people of color that drink beer. It's not just like the Brad's and Chad's. Um, so that's our running joke in Charlotte the Brad's and Chad's. It's not just the Brad's and Chad's that drink craft beer. Like there are so many other people that drink craft beer. So here we call them the Arlington bros. It's the, <laughs> and it's, I mean, there's an outfit for it and exactly. we joke around when we go out and it's like the, the khaki shorts, like cargo shorts and sandals and a polo shirt or a, right. a checkered button down short sleeve shirt in the summer. Um, but yeah, I know exactly. And that's what people picture when they picture craft beer, they picture those people. And um, to diversify that in any way is absolutely fantastic. And you're taking it a, a step further, not just, I, I mean, we just we just keep adding on to these things. I honestly don't know when you sleep, but there, you mentioned before the... <laughs> I don't, yeah, it sounds I like it. I don't. believe that, I believe that. You're either working or coming up with new great uh, thoughts and ideas. <laughs> because I stay up pretty late and it was, I don't even remember what time it was the other day that you messaged me back, but it was after a normal person should be asleep, especially one with a full-time job. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, we're, we're both a little strange like that, but you mentioned before the pink boots society and the, the Charlotte chapter of that, which is something that I hadn't heard of before until I found it through you. So can you explain what the pink boots society is and then also what you're doing with that in Charlotte? Yeah, so um, initially it was an organization that started to really support women that worked in craft beer. But since really the pandemic and just us beginning to understand like the alcohol beverage industry as a whole, we've kind of expanded our mission. So it includes any women or any person that's identifying as women um, that, that work in the alcohol beverage industry. So that could be cider, that could be distilling, that could be brewing. Um, we've even included like kombucha. And so basically it's an organization that exists on a national level to really support women through education. And so they do a lot in terms of just like, you know, trying to empower women, um, assisting them and continuing their education. They're really known for their scholarships that they provide. And it honestly acts as like a support group, you know, being that women are honestly underrepresented in a lot of the alcohol industries. Um, 
it's a national organization that exists to really continue to support women and provide education. So here in Charlotte, you have chapters all across the country in different cities and different states. But in Charlotte, I am a chapter leader with um, the head brewer at the brewery I currently work at, Free Range. We're co-leaders. And what we do basically is provide ongoing education for women in the area. We provide a safe place for women to vent. I mean, we've heard like recently so many of the horror stories at different places in terms of like how women are treated and and different things. And so we kind of provide a safe place, but at the same time, continuing to encourage women to continue to go after, you know, those head brewer jobs to continue to further education. And um, it honestly acts as like a support group of sorts for women that work in the beer industry, but wine and and kombucha and cider. And so um, it's been really, really great to connect with people on a local front and then on a national front. And is that done, do you just deal with the production people, so people that would work in the breweries, or do you do with distribution and servers and really anything involved in the craft beverage industry? Yep. So the only requirement for Pink Boots is that you have to receive 25% of your income from a fermented beverage industry. So, you know, working in the beer part-time, doing something part-time, um, as, long, as long as you work in the industry, then you would qualify to be a member. And the cool thing about it is, you know, people think breweries and they always think, oh, head brewer. Well, the head brewer is great. They make the beer. I get it. But if you didn't have that social media person, if you didn't have that marketing person, if you didn't have that accountant, that brewery would not be able to function. And so one of the things that we really like to focus on is that all those different moving pieces are very significant when it comes to beer. So we have women that work for the distributor. We have women that do social media. We have the marketers. You know, we have people that work in restaurants that serve craft beer brands. So it's really open in that sense. That's a that's a really, really good point for all of our listeners. <laughs> for, for the vast majority of breweries, the brewmaster does not sell the beer. At, in no. limited circumstances, if you're famous or you have a famous beer, it does. Everywhere else, it's the rest of the staff. It's your social media person. It's the person that works with distributors uh, and so on and so forth. Those are the ones that sell your beer, and they're just as important or more important than the brewmaster. Exactly. And people don't understand that. And so, like, one of the things that I love talking to people about is, you know, I know back of house and front of house because I've worked both and I've seen it. So being able to talk about, like, the different three tiers and, the you know, the retailers and the distributors and People don't, distributors have so much power and we don't talk about that enough because that's where the money is. It's in distributing. Like unless you can distribute your own beer, you're paying a hefty penny for a distributor to distribute your beer and honestly not really making lots of money off of it. So, I mean, all those key pieces play such an important role. And um, that's a passion of mine too, moving forward is to like have conversations about that because I think people don't realize like all the different career paths you can take in craft beer. Like that accountant, the person that's balancing those books it's so critical to like the growth of the brewery and the reason that breweries can open second locations and third locations and continue to scale up and grow. I mean, you need a person that's crunching those numbers. So. Yeah, really almost all fields of business exactly. uh, can work in craft brewing. And I wonder if the distributors, if we can kind of equate that to the, the DJs of old on, on radio that like, you, they're kind of like the gatekeepers. If they, If a distributor likes your beers and likes what you're doing, then if someone says, hey, we want to bring one more brewery online, that's going to be who they suggest. And and some of it's by contracts and they're going to push a certain amount of your beer out, but some of it's going to be that word of mouth and what should we have and, and where should it go? So it's a very important part of the process. 
Exactly. Tonight I had a beer that was from Astoria. I don't even know if I can tell you where that is on the map, but the place I went to was like a little um, tap room. The, one of the distributors they used, they bring this beer in from Astoria. And I, it was like a raspberry imperial stout, and it was amazing. But I had never heard of the brewery before. So I'm thinking that's uh, Astoria in Oregon, is my guess. No, it's like in another country. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was, so I was thinking Astoria from the Goonies. Oh, which okay. is, but nope, not like legit another country. Somewhere else, like somewhere far, far away. Far, far okay. away. <laughs> so I was way off, but I did still manage to get a Goonies reference into the podcast. So I think Good I job. get points for that. Yeah, Jeff. <laughs> His brain's just different than the rest of us, okay? <laughs> this, this is audio only, but Derek was definitely shaking his head and sighing at me for those who couldn't see it. This is a Planet Fitness no judgment zone, okay? Exactly, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I try my, I try my best, but there's there's judgment in every episode, trust me. Just, there really just a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> just a bit, just a bit. So let's shift gears a little bit. We've talked about a lot of the cool stuff that you're doing in craft beer, but you mentioned earlier that you like to travel for beer <laughs> and pretty much all of your travels relate to beer. So where we'll start with a big one. Where is the best place you've traveled for craft beer domestically? And then if internationally as well, one of each. And you can't say top five, just the best. one. I know. I know that's so hard. Like, so internationally, I've never been outside the country. So I'm working on that. I just got my passport. So I'm working on that. That's step number one. So you're, that you're, is ahead, of, you're one. ahead of the game. Yep. Well, the good news is you are now connected with two travel and miles and points experts that exactly. can help with that. And we can we can get you all sorts of places. I, you are like my new best friends now. Um, but in terms of, let's see. Oh, gosh, the best city. So I've been to so many good places. Um, it's so hard to think best city. But one place that I'll say, because I went there recently, and I really like the beer there. A few weeks ago, I was in Richmond. And I really like a lot of the Richmond breweries. I feel like you have lots of good beer there. Obviously, you have the answer with all their, like, fruited juice bomb. Um, what do they, they call their stuff? Uh, what do they call it? There's like a particular name they call their their fruited stuff. I can't think right now. But they have good beer. Um, I mean, I went to Boston. I went to so many breweries in, in Richmond, and I really enjoyed it. And a lot I didn't even get a chance to hit. Like, I was upset I didn't get a chance to hit Hardywood. Um, the head brewer at Pilot, the brewery I used to work for, she started at Hardywood. So I really wanted to, like, you know, visit there. But that's a really fun city, but it's hard. It's hard to pick one. And then I will say the reason I don't have like a grand place to pick is because I haven't been to any of the places that I really want to go to. Like obviously on my list, Maine, I want to get down to Maine so bad to visit breweries, Portland, Oregon. Like I have to get to Oregon. Obviously like I've never been West coast. I was supposed to go to California and San Diego, um, San Diego for the new years, but they shut down. So I had to cancel my trip. So, I mean, there's so many places I haven't been, like Denver. Oh, my gosh. So, Seattle. So, yeah, I I'm still a newbie in the game. You definitely just named a whole lot of uh, dreamy cities for beer. Exactly. And they're, like, on my top list. So, You may sure. have seen Derek's eyebrows go up there, but uh, he and I have a trip to Portland, Maine, scheduled for the end of, end of April, 
Yeah, end of May. In, yeah, end, end, of, end of April, yeah. My wife yeah. and I go to Portland, Maine every December, typically, the first week of December. It's off-season, <laughs> so it's super cheap. We have direct flights from Baltimore on Southwest for like 49 or 59 bucks each way. So it's a really cheap weekend. We go up and hit our favorite eight or nine or ten breweries in right. three days and then, and then come home. I think, personally, I'm biased. I think Portland, Maine is my favorite beer city. In the United States, I put Asheville number two. So don't oh, yeah. don't don't discount the local one. <laughs> well, and the thing about it is, like, and I never even thought Asheville, but like, that's a guarantee. Like, I would move to Asheville tomorrow, like, if I could, and find a job there because I love it so much. One, I love Asheville for beer, but I love the people. Like, I am very much so like hippie and free spirit, and I feel like that is Asheville for you. Like, you meet the nicest people there, and so I think that's in my backyard. So it's like a no brainer. But in terms of Maine. Um, one of my goals, like obviously once the snow has melted, because it gets really cold and icy and snowy in those places, I would oh, love to do a road yeah. trip. What'd you say? I said, and that's not for you. We covered that earlier. It's, no, it's not for me. <laughs> um, so, but my goal is like, I want to do a road trip. I just got a new car. So like, I want to just do a road trip and like take a whole week and stop at places along the way and just take my time. Um, driving up to Maine, um, obviously visiting two big breweries, um, Allagash and Maine Beer Company. I don't know who runs their social media, but they love me and they're super nice to me. So I definitely want to go visit those. But I'm sure like along the way, there are so many like smaller and breweries that I've never heard of that I definitely want to go visit. So that is on my like to-do list once the snow melts. <laughs> I think road tripping and, and beer is a perfect combination because when you go to a place you really love, you want to get a six pack or two to go. And that's perfect for throwing in your car. And then you can drink back at the hotel after you finish driving. Let's all be safe, ladies yes. and gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, the driving and drinking wasn't the best way of putting that, that they, they're a perfect pair. But yeah, they're, 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 yeah. They're a perfect pair when you're responsible and you drink once your day's worth of driving is complete. Is yeah, that a good that, disclaimer, Jeff? Did I cover You drive up to Richmond and park your car and then take Ubers <laughs> around to the different breweries. They're actually exactly. in Richmond, a lot of them are so close you can just walk. Yeah, that's what we did. Like we we Ubered to one and then we walked to all the others. So Yeah, and that's I mean, that's true of so many places in Columbus, that's true. I, in Denver, you can hit a whole bunch of breweries all uh within walking distance. Really everywhere that there's a huge craft beer scene. Not so much in DC. There's a few that you can walk in between. But, I haven't been to any DC brewery, so that's on the list. Because that's, a, I mean, that's a, like a six-hour drive for me, maybe I think. Um, so maybe it's more than that, but not a bad drive. And like I said, I don't, mind, I, I don't mind driving. Yeah, I, I love road trips, but um, my ultimate goal, like if I could, you know, pitch my dream, it would be well, two things. One, my ultimate goal is to have my own brewery and have like a small two-barrel system, do a bunch of R&D, experimental batches, because that's what I like to do. But outside of that, my other goal would be Travel Channel picks up my TV show, and I get to travel the world and be the gaffietti of beer, and just like visit breweries like and drink beer and have a really cool car while I'm doing it. So yeah, that would maybe be not drive. That would be amazing. <laughs> Listen, exactly. Like I want my own show on the Travel Channel, like, and I'm just traveling to breweries and drinking beer. So. Maybe we could get a whole bunch of us together. I know uh, Eric Coleman, who was a, a guest of ours a while back and co-hosted the last couple episodes for us, uh, has talked about that. Like that would be a dream for him. Maybe if we go like six or seven of us all together and we can all co-host and Let's go to different it. breweries and pop in between things. 
I think I'm, I mean, I would watch that. I don't know. Right. We're the only ones. Those of us that want to do it are the only ones that would watch it. But I think there's others. Who knows? I think I have a good personality. Like, I'm funny. I was talking to some friends the other day and I was like, I've always had this dream of being on a reality TV show. Like, I used to want to be on Real World back in the day. And so, I mean, I missed that chance. But I, I definitely think that, like, I have enough of those, like, blonde moments as a Black girl that I think people would laugh and it would be a really good show. So, well, that's definitely something we have to keep talking about. And, you know, <laughs> if we if we keep talking about it enough, eventually it will happen, I have exactly. to believe. So you talked about Maine. You talked about not having gone to a lot of the places that you want to go. Are there any spots that are really like if you can get a plane ticket, COVID restrictions are gone, where's the, the first place that you're going to hit or the first place you're going to go? Uh, if there's a specific brewery or just a specific city? Um, I think for me, like what was really on my list last year that I didn't get to visit. I don't know why. I really want to go to Portland, Oregon. Like I really want to go there. Like I said, I've never been West Coast. California is also really big, but something about Portland, Oregon, I just really want to go to. So, yeah, I don't know. I had a really good time in Portland, Oregon. I I managed to, I wandered into a Deschutes brew pub. Um, they don't actually... I don't know if it's a brew pub. Maybe they don't actually brew the beer there. Maybe it's just a pub in Portland and they brew a little bit south of that. But um, I wandered in there and I don't wandered back out like six hours later after meeting some Canadian welders and we had a wonderful time. It's the one place that I've been that when we got our bill at the end of the night, there was a, I don't remember if it was 10 or $25 discount on it. And it was simply notated as fun. So oh, wow. we were we were fun people and we got a discount, but really we were just nice. (laughs) Um, So I had fun there. And then rogue brewing did a, uh, an outdoor Mm -hmm. festival the next day. And I went there and just a lot of good stuff coming out of there. I love rogue's beer. Yeah. I'm convinced time doesn't um, happen in, in Deschutes. Like time stops the moment you enter the door, because like Jeff, I had a, multi-hour experience at Deschutes and the food's incredible. The servers, you know, you're talking about trying to train women and specifically women of color, how, how to talk to customers about beer. I thought Deschutes was one of the most memorable places I've ever been for every server that interacted with us had a passion for beer and fully understood beer. And gosh, what an experience when it's, you know, when you say, hey, what what do you recommend? And they come back at you with 15 questions that are all on point and were asked for a specific reason, right? I love that and I'll never forget it. And it makes for a memorable experience. And I will say like, in my opinion, I feel like every brewery should require that all of their beer tenders or all of their bartenders have that minimal, that like level one Cicerone, because it just makes for a different experience. Like you can tell when you're talking to a person that is not knowledgeable on beer. I mean, I've even had some people say, oh, well, I don't really drink beer. I remember, you know, working at this one brewery and the girl saying, oh, well, I don't really like brown nails. So she couldn't talk about that beer. And I polite, well, probably not politely, I intervened and was like, actually, uh, that's my favorite beer and you should try it because it's amazing. That's got malt. I love malt. Right. It was an imperial brown ale with maple syrup. Like, sign me up. And so the guy, and, and the funny thing about it is the guy ended up leaving. And before he left, I was off the clock and I was sitting down, like having my after shift beer. He stopped me and he said, you know, thank you so much for telling me about that beer. It was amazing. And I'm like, how dare you talk to a customer and tell them that you don't drink a certain style of beer? 
I don't care if you don't drink it. You sell that beer like it's your favorite beer in the world. Like <laughs> that's a given. So I, I really think that, you know, having knowledgeable beer tenders makes for just a completely different experience. And you'll even surprise people because you'll and, and having conversations with them and knowing what they like and dislike, you can recommend something that typically would never be like on their radar and they enjoy it. Like we recently did an oyster stout. I didn't even know I like oyster stouts. I like oyster Rockefeller. I didn't know I like oyster stouts. And, you know, I tried it and fell in love with it. And so a guy came in wanting a stout. And I think our regular stout had just kicked. And I was like, you should try this. And he kind of gave me that face like, okay, I don't want, you know, seafood in my beer. And he tried it and he loved it and came back for a second one. So I, I, I truly think that kind of shapes the experience. Yeah, it's funny with the, like, I don't drink that. So I can't tell you or it's just many people who know me know that I used to run a Kentucky fried chicken with my father-in-law and my father-in-law had that for many, many years. So my wife, when she was in high school, worked for that Kentucky fried chicken. And while she was doing that, she was a vegetarian. Oh, wow. So she would have all her father would not allow her to tell customers that because that what that's not what you say when someone has who says, what's your favorite sandwich or what's your favorite part. So she had to make up her favorites and talk descriptively about them and how wonderful they were having never tried them because she didn't eat meat. Right. And that's powerful. And I think that's the power of beer education because, you know, people don't think education when they think beer because it's such a social thing. Like you just hang out, you know, throw beers back. But there truly is an education component to it that I, I truly think is what makes the difference when it comes to like the consumer experience. And to be able to talk about it, even if you don't love it, you can say, well, and it's fine to say, you know, I don't really like brown ales, but here's what I can tell you about this one and what it's similar to and why you might right. like it and what the flavors are going to be is a exactly. lot better than, oh, I don't like those. You wouldn't either. Right. Because you get a lot of people that walk into breweries that are wine drinkers. And so what do you recommend a wine drinker? And, you know, in my experience, wine drinkers, if they like cabs and things that are really bold, typically they will like stouts because stouts tend to be really bold in flavor. If they like, you know, some of the white wines or lighter things, then typically they would go for a sour. So even being able to like have those things you can compare and connect to across the different types of spirits, I guess, is really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as we close up here, we've talked about a, a lot of stuff you're doing. We've talked about Black Beer Chick. We've talked about Beer Chick. We've talked about Black Girls Drink Beer too. We've talked about the Pink Boots Society. We've talked about the brewery you're working at. We've talked about how you don't sleep because it would be impossible with all of that <laughs> stuff. Are there any new projects coming down the line or what are you working on now? I think I saw you launch something on your Instagram today. It, what, what do you have coming that's in addition to all that stuff? Um, I'm always working on something, but some cool things that I have coming up. So um, today I posted, I'm partnering with Duclaw Brewing. And so they're doing something really cool where they're doing like um, colon cancer awareness. And so I got to do a really cool post about a new beer they released where they're doing this thing called Give a Crap. And so they do a beer called Unicorn Farts that's pretty popular. And so they brewed a special edition of this beer. And so for people that are willing to like sign up and do like a take home colon test um, and send it back in and get their results. They get free beer. So I'm excited to partner with that because, you know, cancer is something that I feel like touches any and everybody. Um, but a lot of different cancers can be very preventative, you know, if you take those measures beforehand. So excited to kick that off. 
I had such a productive day this morning. So I'm also doing something really cool with Untapped. They have a series called Stocked Up where you basically like show your beer fridge. And so today I finally recorded my video for that. And um, people will probably be really shocked at how much beer I have. But, you know, if they're alcoholics like me, then maybe they won't be. Um, I have like a mini beer fridge. I have my main refrigerator that has no food and all beer. And then I have like a pantry that I kind of cellar things in. So I have a lot of beer to show. So I recorded that today. So I'm excited for that to be released. And yeah, in terms of just what else I have work, working on or whatever, lots of stuff. Like I, I, I'm, that's why I can't sleep because I'm always thinking of ideas and I always have these like grand ideas that I want to do things with. So a couple of things in the works, but those are the two things that I'm working on right now that will be happening pretty soon. So they'll be visible for, for people to see soon. And um, of course, people should follow you on social media and keep up with what you're doing because there's new stuff coming out all the time and your content is super cool. And if you love beer, then I don't see why they wouldn't follow you <laughs> because yes, exactly. it's it's entertaining and there there's good information and, and really everything is wonderful about, wonderful about what you're doing online with working with women and working with women of color and working with breweries and raising people up to their potential in the craft, the craft industry. And I think it's, it's absolutely wonderful where, what's the best place for people to find you online? Can you just rifle through where they can find you and see the stuff you're working on? Yeah. So always I'm so easy to connect with on um, Instagram at black beer chick. Um, also, Black Girls Drink Beer 2, which is a cool site to just kind of follow and keep up with. People can always visit my website and buy some really cool Beer Chick merch. And the website is blackbeerchick.com. As well as, um, this is probably strange, but I tell people like on my Instagram, you know, the little contact button, you have email and you have phone. Like that is my legit real phone number. So people are always able to just like text me or call me. I don't have a personal assistant yet. I can't afford it. I need one because I get so many emails, but I answer all my own stuff and I love talking to people. So I think a lot of times people are, are thrown off when I actually respond, but I'm just like, uh, yeah, it's me. So yeah, any of those places. And I can vouch for that because we didn't know each other before a couple of days ago right. and I found you on Instagram and I I guess I slid into your DMs. I was like, <laughs> hey, do you want to be on a podcast? And a few hours later, you're like, yeah, sure. And here we are a couple of days later. So it's, I mean, you're, you're definitely putting yourself out there and creating, like I said, great content and doing great things. And thank you so much for this. Uh, it wasn't too much notice. We needed a guest and we were kind of slacking. Derek was out of town and I told him he could have another week off from hosting because we were doing a second episode from our other recording. And then I forgot I needed to schedule a guest. I was like, <laughs> I need someone awesome. And I think, especially having talked to you now for a little over an hour, we definitely found someone awesome in craft beer. So thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Definitely. Thank you for having me. I look forward to it. And, you know, now that we're best friends because y'all have travel perks, we're, we'll, we'll be in touch. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for all of your work. Thanks for everything you're doing in the world of beer and uh, to touch human lives. And thank you for joining us. Thank you, Derek. Thank you so much, Jeff. Well, we hope you had as much fun listening to Eugenia as we did talking to her. It's somewhat amazing to hear about all the things that she's doing to promote women of color in the craft beverage industry. It becomes almost ridiculous when you learn that she does all of this in addition to her full-time job in mental health and her part-time job at a brewery. 
it's no surprise to hear that she doesn't sleep much. All of the important points and links for things we talk about during our conversation will be in the show notes, so you can pick up anything that you missed the first time through. The easiest place to find those notes is at milesandpints.com. Thanks so much for listening to Miles and Pints, the Travel and Beer podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe so you can hear all of our new episodes as soon as they're released. Tell your friends and family about us so they can enjoy the show too, and please take a few minutes to leave us a review on your favorite listening platform. In between episodes, you can get more travel and beer content by following at Miles and Pints on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. You can also stop by our Facebook page at facebook.com slash milesandpints. And that's all we have for this episode. Until next time, we hope you'll find yourselves a little bit of travel, a little bit of beer, and a whole lot of fun. Yeah.